0: We learned through scripture that this incarnation actually a model for how to love well. Here's the truth, that theologians and psychologists and sociologists and even pop culture, they, it all says that we desire love, that we actually need to be loved. Um, for many of you that watch reality TV, it's some of the crazy things that people do for love, for attention, right, to feel that. We recognize that. Money can't buy love. It can buy nice toys and make you feel good for a while, but if there's this deeper need that we need love, that's just ingrained to us as being human. The issue is we aren't really good at loving people. We're not really good at loving our neighbor, our coworker. Frankly, we're not really good at loving our family members. If we were to be honest, you and I are not experts on loving people in this church. Well, see, we've got all kinds of experts in this world, right? We've got, you know, we have this need for food, and so we have this awesome food experts called chefs, right? I remember Crystal and I, when we first got married, someone gave us a gift, this really, really fancy restaurant, and it was like this, I don't know, 50-course meal kind of thing. And at the of the meal, they had something called a... Uh, called a palate cleanser, okay? And so we're like, oh, great, it's time for the palate cleanser, you know? And so the server comes out, and he's got this long stick. I thought, is that it? (laughs) And in this long stick, about whatever, three or four foot (laughs) long stick, and there's this little ball that's kind of resting on the middle of the stick, and this is kind of how they serve it to you, you know? This little ball is made of some kind of paste or something, and inside it is just like this fresh citrus-type liquid. So you take that, put it in your mouth, and they say, put the whole thing in your mouth and just squeeze, right? And it just kind of explodes in your mouth with like, like a waterfall in your mouth of like citrus flavor and it's so refreshing. I felt like I need, didn't need to brush my teeth for a month after that. It was incredible. See, that's what we're good at, right? We figured that out pretty well. We have desire for need and convenience. Uh, recently, a couple months ago, I got an email from Xfinity saying they bumped up my internet for no charge to 150 megabits per second. They say no charge, and what they really mean is no charge now. You know how it is. In about six months, I'll I'll know about this. But, I mean, just this is what we do. We're good at these kind of things, but we really have a hard time with loving well. There's a thousand books, millions of books written about love, and I think that as a church, we have this really great opportunity, really a gift of Jesus coming that we can learn the power of how He loves. And I believe the Christmas story, I know it's not Christmas, I'm not going to get ahead of myself, relax. The Christmas story is really love expressed in a way that works. Love expressed in a way that makes an impact, that works for us. And so all this learning and growing and emotional stuff I've been talking about, my heart for you and for the church and how I want to disciple and help you through these things, all these things kind of come together to enable us to love well. So the question then becomes, as you go through this journey, a lifelong journey, the question then, a premier question for our life becomes this, how can I love well? It's probably not on your top of your list, okay? How can I love well? The questions that are on top of our list are: how can I accomplish more? How can I make more money? How can I do more in less time, right? Um, How can I accomplish these things? How can I do more house projects or cross this thing off my task list? How can I do more for my kids, give them more? Those are all maybe part of it, but loving well, really well, becomes a priority that determines actually our life choices. That's a different way to live. And when we are embraced with this, we encounter the gospel and embrace this way of living emotionally um, healthy, it unlocks us to love well. Not do more, not feel more accomplished, but to actually love well, which what this world craves, which what your neighbors crave, your family members crave, your spouse, your kids, and even you, what you truly Crave, this is this model for loving well, this is how Jesus came. So we're going to look at that today, and here's this truth I want you to walk away with today, is that when you're healthy on the inside, you truly can love well on the outside. I wish this wasn't true, I'll be honest with you. I wish that was not true. Because if this wasn't true, then I don't got to work on the inside. See what I'm saying? Like, I can do my life pretty well if this wasn't true. My life would be so much easier if I didn't have to work on what's on the inside to truly love well. But we see in the life of Jesus, this is just not the case, because here's the thing, on the inside of Jesus, we know it's pure, perfect, the divine. And because he was so healthy, to use that word on the inside, we see that when he interacted with people and loved people, it was incredible. So incredible that we still talk about it today. So incredible that there's over 2 billion Christians around the world. So powerful that it will change the trajectory of your life. If this wasn't true, church, life would be so much easier, but it's true that if we're healthy on the inside, if God, if Christ can do a work on the inside of you, it turns into love on the outside for others, and you'll be able to love well. Let's look at this passage together. I know you've read this before. This is a really powerful passage. Jesus is healing and and doing all kinds of stuff and doing ministry and He's kind of surrounded by a bunch of people. And so here's the story Jesus, it says about Jesus. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching their synagogues. That's a do thing. Proclaiming the good news. That's, again, accomplishing something. Good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Again, that's a great story right there. And that's a great career. But when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Now, that's not on the task list. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he says to his disciples, these guys following him and trying to figure out what's going on with this guy that we're trying to follow. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. When I read that story, I can remember reading this when I was in high school getting a burden to help as many people as I can while I can. I walked away with that after reading that passage for the first time, saying, okay, God, I want to love as many people as I can while I can. And it wasn't, for me, it wasn't waiting on that. I just started loving people around me. I figured out ways to love my parents better, love my siblings brother, uh, better. I figured out ways to love my school better. I was a high school student at the time. That's what I walked away with. And so many years later now, like 20 years later now, I look at this and I see something a little bit different. What I see happening here in this passage is this idea that here we have Jesus doing all the things that I wanted to do when I was a you know, sophomore, junior in high school. Man, I want to go and do all these things, right? What I see now is this verse 36 actually sticks out for me more than anything else. Because in this moment, here's what happens is that Jesus has the capacity to have compassion. Jesus actually has the most you can quantify this, biggest, largest capacity to have compassion for others. His capacity was so large for compassion that he would give his life. His capacity for compassion was so large that in the midst of, of doing some work, man, he felt this compassion. His capacity for compassion, his ability to love well was so big that in the interactions that we read through the Gospels with people, of Jesus connecting with people, it was just life-changing for them. His capacity for love was so great. Jesus had the largest capacity in his heart to have the greatest compassion for others. And here he is with his disciples, and they're looking at him doing these awesome things. Jesus is a winner in verse 35. He's the guy. He's doing incredible things. That would be enough. But he says to them this idea of like he has this compassion. He's so burdened to where he says, listen, these people are hurting. I can feel that. Pray that the Lord would send forth more people, not just to work the harvest, but to feel the compassion for the harvest. That's what I missed 20 years ago. Now when I read this story, I want my heart to have Ask a different question. I asked the question of myself, how much capacity do I have right now in my life to love? How much room do I have? Is my heart filled with resentment? Is my heart filled with bitterness? Is my heart filled with my task list and, and my stress level and my worry? I'm a worrier. I'm an analytical worrier, okay? I, is, is my heart full with things from the past? Like we talked about, that are affecting the present? Are there things underneath the surface that I don't like talking about with you or anybody else, even my wife, that is in there that's taking some room that God desires to have? I want to have the kind of capacity in my heart to see people and have as Jesus sees them and to have compassion. Whether I'm in church, I'm at the grocery store, or if I'm at eating eating lunch, wherever I'm at, I want to be able to say my heart has this capacity and the space to love well. Now, what was so powerful about this kind of thing here, and I'm just going to put all these up actually together here. So, there have been a million books written about love. I haven't written any of those, so I'm not an expert. We, 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 we want to know as a as a culture, I think, we want to know as a people, how do we love well because we recognize, I think, love works, right? Love is powerful. We leave, we we spend money on love. We go through broken relationships. We go all these different things. And people talk about this idea of like when you fall in love, it's like insane. <laughs> it's not this logical thing that you would be willing to tie your life to somebody or you're willing to give up these things or whatever it is because you just have this love for someone. And, and so here's a few things that I see not only in this passage, but the idea of Jesus coming as a man to us. We know the story that Jesus was born in a manger. I watched this with my kids recently. It's like, this is not a kingly birth. This doesn't seem right, but it's loving. And he goes through his life, and we see what he does. And these are some of the words that come up when we see Jesus love well. The first is empathy. Um, empathy, this idea to be able to walk in somebody else's shoes. And so Jesus had this incredible empathy. Well, why was he be able to empathize? Because he... Walked in our shoes. He walked in poverty. He walked with people. He walked with hunger. Um, Jesus felt these things. I want to use the feeling word. Let me tell you, Jesus felt something when he saw all these people, like sheep without a shepherd. He saw these hurting people that he's healing, right? He felt something. I tried to argue with you and convince you at the beginning of this series that you are created emotional, that you are emotional as much as you are physical. And all these other things take away our opportunity to empathize with people. When you're busy, you don't think about other people. When you're worried, you don't think about other people. These things take space in our hearts. Empathy. And when Jesus is with these people, he's able to have that space to feel that compassion. You say, well, you know, love is an action now, and love is all, yeah, it is. But what motivates love in these moments is when you can really empathize with someone. We know this in the counseling psychology world. Um, we get this. This is a part of kind of what they study about relationships, and relationships experts, whether they're Christian or not, will tell you you have to have empathy in a relationship. And if, you, and if a relationship is suffering, one of the things that could be suffering is empathy. So when I talk with couples that have problems or or, 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 are having an issue or complaining about a spouse or whatever, you know, the rare times that happens. But anyway, uh, when I I have that opportunity or someone comes to me and tells me about this, I will always kind of take them back to the question of, well, what is it like to be that person? Well, what do you mean what it's like? What is it like? Describe it to me. Okay, well, what is it like to go to that job? What is it like to maybe be home with all the kids? What is it like to be raised in this place with this and that? What is it like to have this much money? What is it like to go without this? What, what is it like? What is it like? And so as you begin to do that, you start feeling something. That did not fix anything. You just start feeling some empathy. You start feeling some compassion. This happened for me in one of my counseling sessions. Um, I remember I was complaining about, uh, just parenting for, with him and saying, I don't know what to do in this kind of situation here, whatever. And, and he just said, Well, what is it like? I was talking with my son, Leo, and I said, Well, what is it like to be a four year old? I'm like, I have no idea. I'm like 50. I don't know. So I said, What is it like to be a four year old dealing with whatever is going on? I said, I have no idea. He didn't let me off the hook. That's right. I wanted to be, the conversation be done right there. So, what is it like? Describe it to me. I don't know. Maybe it's scary. Well, what's it like to be all home all day without you and then you come home, what do you think it's like for him? I don't know, maybe he's excited to see me. Okay, what is it like to be without you eight hours a day? Okay, maybe he misses me, maybe that feels a little sad. See, this started going on and on and I started realizing, okay, I got it. Anybody ask me these crazier questions like what was it like to be four years old for yourself back growing up wherever you grew up and what you had to deal with in your life? Well, I don't remember being four. Okay, let's start with eight. You remember being eight? kind of do. I remember being alone. I remember being frustrated. So as this kind of conversation goes on, I start feeling something. I start feeling some compassion for my son. See, empathy gives us the opportunity to feel something, and you won't love well without empathy. Secondly, I know that second one sounds weird to you, boundary. But somehow, you know, in this thing of Jesus becoming man, he didn't lose himself, right? He didn't lose his divinity. It's like, here he is, Jesus surrounded by these people and a lot of work to be doing. I'd be like in work mode, like, man, I will work till I like fall down, you know? And I'm not going to take a lunch break. I got a lot of work to do here and healing people and doing all these things. But Jesus somehow is able to keep that boundary there. So somehow being surrounded by all this need, um, he's able to kind of set a boundary of, okay, I'm going to tell these disciples to pray for some help. See, He talked about limits in one of the sermons about embracing our limits. That's interesting. I think that's kind of a limit, Jesus, saying, hey, pray for some help here. I'm feeling all this compassion, all these things that are happening. I, let's pray for some help. I think also it's powerful in this word boundary is that Jesus had an opportunity to see outside of himself. These people are outside of him, right? These people are outside of him and all the things that are going on, and somehow He wasn't just looking at himself. He was able to see, okay, this is me, this is you, and he's able to even see that. There, Also, this idea of a boundary and being able to love well is his heart was pure and loving, and he was able to love well without resenting it. See, that right there is a miracle to me. To love well and not feel like, okay, now you owe me. Or, hey, I'm doing 51% in this boss, you know, worker situation, this neighbor situation, this parenting situation, this par- this couple situation, you're doing 49, so we got to work on that here, okay? we got to go 50-50, see? See, this is a powerful thing that Jesus does. He's able to set a boundary in the sense of, like, all the things that Jesus is doing is honest and it's pure, okay? Third purpose. This Love, I think, also loving well is connected to a purpose, and so for Jesus, he gets this, that... Nothing on this earth was for his selfish gain. Let me say that again. Loving well, it's where nothing on this earth is just for selfish gain. But it was the Father's gain, right? It was a purpose that God had given him. And so this idea of him living between two worlds, that we have this life going on here, eating, drinking, breathing, walking, right, taking a nap, all the things that we see that Jesus does, we have this earthly life going on then we have this life that was driven by another kingdom that was driven and guided and motivated by the father and what the father's purpose and plan was so what does what happens for Jesus his love actually becomes the purpose for his life you and I don't want to talk about love as a purpose we want to talk about my purpose as a husband my you know my purpose as a father my my purpose is you know, to get this degree done, my purpose is to earn an income, my purpose is to take care of myself, all of these different things that we kind of put on there as a purpose, but we we lose this idea that God desires for us to finally get to the point where we recognize that our purpose is the same way that we live between two worlds. in my expense reports I've got to fill out right in my in the work world, right and the things I'm making my boss happy, right the things of making your family members happy, the things you got to cook dinner, right? All these different things of this world. There's another world that I'm living in as well, and it's the God's kingdom and his desire. And it is his purpose that I love others well. It's not on the side. So our prayer changes from God, how can I do more, to God, how can I love well? And no matter what happens in your life, whether you didn't get the opportunity to play in the NBA like you dreamed of when you were a child, that was heartbreaking for me when I realized I couldn't do that, right? Whether that relationship doesn't work out, or Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright never shows up and you're single, fine. Or maybe you don't get to have the kids you want to have, or maybe this didn't work out or that didn't work out. The reality is this one truth that at every season in your life, no matter what has happened, you're called to love well. You can't control maybe those who come in your life or how things are going to work out, but you can control. And work on the inside to be able to love well in every one of those seasons. So it goes, so it goes from instead of, how can I do more, God? How, I mean, how can I get out of this? I'm jobless or unemployed or, God, how do I get out of this? This is a frustrating situation. But to recognize, God, in the midst of this, how do I love well? God, keep my heart pure. That no matter what season of life I'm in, I am working on the inside. So it changes from not not only am I able to accomplish things, but did, it, did I do it in a loving way? Did I love well through it? Let me give you an example real quick here, okay? Uh, this is a parenting example. You know, a parent, maybe you're a young parent, whatever it is. If I were to tell you, you know, for $3, if you're a young parent, for $3, if I could pay you $3, would you make your child feel ashamed, I will give you $3, $3, 3 whole dollars, 3 American dollars for your child to feel lonely or ostracized. Would you do it? Nobody says that. But when our 2 or 4 or 5, maybe 8-year-old, whatever, breaks that dish, right, breaks that vase, breaks that bowl, Breaks my favorite coffee mug, breaks my Chemex, pour-over coffee thing that I love, and I rage. I get angry. Something slips, and he feels ashamed, or she feels ashamed, or ostracized, or painful even that moment of what I just said. Why would I do that? Why do I do it? It's two, three bucks, maybe fifty bucks, maybe a hundred. What if I told you $5,000, would you do it? You probably wouldn't because you love your kid. But here's what happens, church. Because loving well isn't our priority, we don't work on the inside to make sure in those moments that it happens that we love well. I can guarantee you for a few dollars, right, of this broken plate, some of the things that I'm going to do, if I do it in the wrong way, I can maybe tell you I can get my kid to comply if it's loving well and so now the greater question isn't how do I get him to do something or her to do something it's how do I love well you know if I could get you before you had a conflict with someone you conflict with a co-worker conflict with a parent family member and I could sit down with you before this all happened and I said listen is it gonna be worth it whatever it is okay whatever it is fighting over money You're fighting over this or that, whatever it is, okay? Was it worth you not loving well? So here's the big picture, church, okay? If you will embrace working on what's underneath the surface, the hard road, I would call it a narrow road, it's setting yourself up for those crazy moments in your life to love well. So here's a few questions that we ask if we're going to go down this way. See, see how those are different questions now? I'm not asking you if you feel righteous and you've done good things this week. Um, I don't want to just ask you, hey, you're making good money, yeah, your boss is happy, that's great, you know. Hey, you know, everybody's happy, you know. So these become some more central questions to our life. How's my heart? How's my heart? How's my heart when things are good? How's my heart when things are bad? How's my heart? What's underneath the surface? For many of us, we have no clue. Typically, we find out what's on the underneath when we're in a pressure cooker and it comes out, right? And then we're embarrassed and we're scared, right? the Central question, what's underneath the surface? In worship time, when I'm during worship here, these are the questions that are sometimes going through my heart. When I pray in my prayer time, and I'm pretty sure I pray more than all of you, so it's a big deal, you know. So that's the kind of thing we we phrase spirituality, right? Like, how much am I reading? How much am I praying? If we were to be asking these questions, you'd get further. <laughs> what's underneath the surface, God? God, what's there? And then this last question I've asked this a billion times, God, how in the world, how in the world, God, do I deal with me? God, how in the world do you take this life that I've lived, these experiences that I've had, these painful things that have happened, God, how in the world do I tend this thing? I got weeds everywhere. I quite literally have weeds in my lawn right now. How in the world do I tend this thing? How do I tend this darkness? How do I tend this mess? How do I tend when I'm in the pressure cooker and these things come out? See, these are become the central questions for life, because we recognize that I, I believe that I'm created of God, and Jesus died for me not to just to do good things, but he died for me to become new, to become righteous, to become loving, to be able to have the capacity on, in my inside to love extremely well. See, these questions are harder questions, Church. I don't like these questions. But in 20 years of following him, these questions have got me to the point I am in my life for sure, and I believe will help me in the next 20 or 30. I want to ask you tonight, church, how's your heart? If you were to be able to answer that question without fear of embarrassment or consequences from somebody else doing something because of what they heard, how would you really say and answer that? I mean, what's underneath the surface? We live such busy lives. The most silence that we have is between the two episodes in our Netflix thing that we're watching. Nowadays, you can just skip that. You know. I mean, our silence is so little. Our quiet, our our time to consider these questions. Do I even know how to tend my heart? These are, I believe, what Scripture helps us with following him helps us with, and this community should help us with, too. Church, look at these questions. These questions lead towards freedom. These questions lead towards a better marriage. These questions lead towards better parenting. And I'm a young parent, okay? But these questions lead towards better parenting. These questions lead towards a better neighbor. These questions lead toward a better purpose in life. These questions lead us towards moments in our life that God desires to have instead of those moments in life where we said, I can't believe that was me.